Welcome to the Ignition Podcast, the free podcast that I am to entertain, inform and inspire those listening to do more with their passion for cars. Today's guest is Will Natras. Will is full of inspiration, starting his photography business at university. Will juggled his exams and cars just to ensure that he could eat at the end of the week. He's gone from strength to strength since then, having work featured in all sorts of publications, working for commercial clients and even having some stuff picked up by Porsche. I promise you, Will is so much more than a man behind a camera, building his skills and ensuring that he doesn't just become another cog in another machine. So, with that being said, here is what to come. Start to run out of money and you realise that your student loan barely even covers the rent. It's almost like, you know, jump off the diving board and figure out what to do in the air. You know, it's like... If, yeah. if you worry about it too much beforehand, you won't you won't figure it out. Outside of life, that's a good one. I think, as with any uh, anyone that's kind of doing a similar thing to me, you end up sacrificing a lot of outside of your career. I was nine to five at university, and then kind of five to midnight working on my own stuff. So mm. um, that is something that I do regret massively: is is sacrificing virtually everything. And I'm a big advocate for experience, you know, experience over education. If you can get experience without all of the qualifications, you know, people will will listen to you. Hey there. I want to give a huge thank you to this episode sponsor, Forge Motorsport. They're all about instilling confidence and enabling performance in everything they do. And the point of this podcast is to help those listening forge the love of cars. So, lucky podcast listeners, you are getting 50% off parts, tuning and more to help you and your car perform confidently. To get that 50% off, visit www.ignitionpod.com or you can find the code in the show notes below. The code doesn't include brakes, but don't let it stop you from heading over there and making your project feel more race car than pace car. Forge Motorsport, thank you again for sponsoring the podcast and helping people do more with their passion for cars. Now, with that being said... Back to the episode. Just a quick one. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I just ask if you haven't already, please click follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. It takes two seconds and it really helps the podcast reach new people. I would love if the episode today would help just one person discover something new or help them on their journey in their career. So thank you. William, welcome to the podcast. How are we? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's nice to see you in person. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Or over and... digital. Yeah. <laughs> These days, anyway, you can't really get everywhere, but you can get anywhere. So, um, the so little question I'd like to start with is, what ignited your passion for cars and all things automotive? Yeah, so um, I think for me it was a bit of a, a bit of an odd journey. I suppose it's a different journey for everyone. And um, I didn't have any kind of major kind of ignitions when I was young. I never had a kind of, oh yeah, that's what ignited it. But I always kind of had this burning desire to be in the car industry. I loved cars. I always had kind of model cars and remote control cars and all of yeah. that. Um, I think my dad, he kind of had an interest in it, but he was never, you know, big into motorsports or big into collecting cars. You know, he always had a pretty basic company car from work. Mm. Um, but he always had the F1 on at the weekends. And and that kind of, I think, as, as a young child, you see that on TV and it just kind of starts you thinking. Um, and I used to kind of build build cars out of cardboard boxes, and I remember I had a pop up book that had it turned into a car that you could sit in. It was a, a weird thing. I'd love to find that. Um, kind of as I, as I grew older, that passion just kept growing, and I was always collecting things. But as I kind of became aware of what cars were and what they were capable of doing, um, I think I just I got got this urge to want to drive, and it was never you know high performance cars or supercars or anything like that it was just anything anything I could drive yeah I was interested in so my friends laugh at me because I have quite a big interest in tractors don't know why but I do I just <laughs> find them interesting we live quite rurally so they're always around but yeah um you know as, as a young child seeing my neighbors were farmers and they always used to bring big John Deere's home and things like that so I think for me it was just everything around me was cars. I was always seeing cars. I was always in cars. And then as I got older and grew into my teens and I became aware of 
you know, the other side of it, which is the aesthetics and the performance and things like that. I started to kind of develop that passion, maybe more towards kind of the interest that I have now. Yeah. So, I mean, it, for tractors, I mean, it's a great way to get a Lamborghini 50 grand. So, I mean, yeah, yeah no, <laughs> very true. Exactly. Exactly. It's a good, it's a good starting point. So you're, like you said, you, um, you're all very much in the visual space when it comes to cars and stuff. So how did that part start? Where did you find a, a, a love, a knack for taking photos and sort of 3D visualization stuff? Yeah, so it, it kind of, it started initially, I was kind of just into cars in general and, and, you know, physically, you know, being in cars and using cars, etc. And then I started using my dad's camera to take pictures on holiday. Me and one of my close friends, Ross, we used to go away and we'd create like movies on holiday of what we were doing on the holiday. And they're always ridiculous. I think at one point we had a full set of garden furniture in a swimming pool and we were doing weird things with it and that kind of ignited the the kind of the camera work and using mm. cameras and I kind of developed that interest and I was very fortunate that my dad had a a Nikon DSLR I mean now it would be worth probably 30 quid but back then it was you know a decent camera and um I just got into taking lots of pictures of stuff and it was never cars it was always you know wildlife and houses and got a big interest in kind of architecture so I started in that and then when I joined a few friends at university it was in my first year of university which was four or five years ago now one of my friends he was kind of quite into car photography and he lived yeah. really really close to Castle Donington so well he lives in Castle Donington so really close to the circuit and he invited me along on a on a track day which I'd never heard of before and I thought oh this, this sounds interesting and that kind of introduced the visualization with cars and that was when i kind of learned that okay you know i could maybe take pictures of cars or i could maybe do something yeah. with cars and i mean i was awful at it i was absolutely horrendous <laughs> i remember looking back at some of the pictures recently and they're just embarrassing um but it was it was the start of something that kind of started to grow and um we we used to kind of sneak into Donington Circuit whenever there was a big event on, you know, when they used to have the, um, I've forgotten what they called, the McLaren days, um, Greystone track days. And they were always private enclosed track days. And we used to, there was a fence around the back of the circuit that you could just hop over. Um, and we'd hide down behind the armco on the side of the track and then pop up to take pictures. I mean, I'm not incriminating myself, but at the time it probably wasn't great. I haven't done that for many, many years, but you know at the start it's really difficult to kind of get access to these cars and I think that's that's one thing a lot of photographers probably come across unless you're kind of in London and you're supercar spotting it's really hard to access the kind of cars that do well yeah. on social media um, and then through my university degree which was automotive design I kind of developed this interest for 3d visualization because there's a lot of ideas that i had and things i wanted to do that i wasn't able to do with a camera you know i couldn't put a car in a mountain scene in austria it was going to yeah. cost me thousands of thousands of pounds to fly out there and i got to find somebody who's willing to do it so it was kind of in the last year of university i decided right okay i'm gonna learn a 3d package mm. and uh, teach myself to visualize in 3d and, and and basically replicate my photography in a, in a virtual environment so that's kind of what bred that and and my interest in lighting and kind of visualizing vehicles and and kind of what makes a photo look good i just got really obsessive about it and i would spend hours and hours and hours tweaking the environment and when you can control the daylight and the shadows and the yeah. trees and the clouds you can really picture kind of paint a picture that you imagine in your head and that's kind of what led to the visualization 3d visualization development yeah i mean if you just look at the stuff that, like the cars is doing with with um concept cars and modeling cars it's amazing what you can do with software nowadays and and to be able to take that and transform a car from from where it's stock to some crazy sort of japanese japanese bakuzoka thing it's insane yeah. so, I, <laughs> so i can i can see i can see where the obsession comes from i mean i'm absolutely useless i can't i can't use that sort of software but i mean like you say it's probably just going to be a case of me trying to learn and do stuff like that. But you said you talking about the obsessions. Where did it where did it become a realization that you could make this passion and this skill set into a, a a career, a um, a monetary value? 
Um, it was quite it was quite early on actually. We were very fortunate. So it was kind of it started off with me and, and this close friend. We we did a lot of stuff together at university. And I think the the initial idea was when I started to run out of money, which I'm sure every university student does, and you realise that your student loan barely even covers the rent, let alone everything else that you've got to pay for. So we started kind of coming up with ideas and ways of making money and um we thought maybe you know maybe we can monetize photography and make something of it and this was yeah. before there was this real influx of kind of photographer automotive photographers now there is thousands of kind of young really talented photographers that have kind of flooded instagram which has probably made it harder for somebody to start out right now but yeah. not to say that those people can't can't grow but um we were quite fortunate that we met the right bunch of people at the right time um and we were at caffeine and machine when it launched i don't know if you know mm. caffeine and machine it's kind of this car venue in the midlands and um we bumped into a chap who invited us on a track day and he introduced us to to some people yeah. who i've now formed really really strong relationships with and have supported me and supported my friend through this kind of journey um because ultimately it costs a lot of money to to kind of buy all the equipment and things like that and we were trying to find ways of, of kind of i don't know harnessing the the monetary value without outsourcing loads of money into equipment you know if you spend mm. four thousand pound on a camera but you're only making 250 pound a day it's going to take you you know well to be fair you, you won't take too long to make that back but still no, but, it's yeah. a case of the case of making making that money back and what works in, in for you in terms of um income but we started out i think it was like 30 25 quid a day i think i was charging when i started and that was we did it there was a couple of lads that we were photographing for and they had you know your mark 7r um golf or i think one of them had a gla amg and we were just yeah. doing really, really menial stuff, but just making money enough to pay for dinner that week or enough to pay for, you know, a night out in Coventry, which is over at uni and things like that. So it kind of started as a bit of a just a side hustle, trying to make money to pay for university. Um, and then when we were introduced to this group of people on the track days, um, yeah. you know, we said, right, OK, we need to come up with a day rate. They were really interested in the photos. And that's kind of how that developed. So it was kind of word of mouth almost. So we, we were really fortunate with the people that we met and I'm still very close with a lot of those people. Yeah. And it's, um, it's the people you meet early on that stick with you and kind of mentor you and give you advice that I find really valuable. There's been a lot of times I've done a, a lot of work for free just to get advice and yeah. kind of learn how you can grow. Um, and so that was kind of the, how I monetized the photography. It was a really slow process of, you know, a lot of free shoots, of creating a lot of content and then going, right, okay, now we can start charging. Um, and with the 3D visualization stuff, that kind of morphed a little bit from um, the photography, but also from university. Yeah. Um, I've been doing, you know, the photography makes up about maybe 20% of the work that I actually do. The rest of okay. it has been kind of digital marketing, um, creating Instagram ads, adverts and trailers for iRacing series and things like that, which I don't usually post because it's all kind of commercial stuff for people that have kind of, um, mm. you know, asked for it. So that's kind of been making up the background. And I thought, right, okay, you know, I spend every waking hour behind a desk at home. So how can I kind of make more money doing that? Um, and I identified quite early on this piece of software, which is, kind of being used for visualization that's quite unique so that actually a software used for game design yeah and i've just taught myself this package um still got a hell of a lot to learn but it's it's a new package in this industry mm. um and that kind of allowed me when i when I did my degree show at the end of university i just focused on visualization and making my vehicle look really cool that i've been designing yeah. at university um and then we have a degree show at the end of university that um, kind of industry can come in and look at. So that was kind of a natural, you know, the natural progression of go to university, get a job, et cetera. That's kind of where that's developed from. But I think I'm in the really fortunate position where I've been able to support all of my visualization with yeah. the photography and running your own business for, you know, three years or whatever. And all of that has kind of helped to push it forward. Um, 
And I'm a big advocate for experience, you know, experience over education. If you can get experience without all of the qualifications, you know, people will, will listen to you. It's just getting them through that box ticking exercise of HR and, you know, have you got a degree, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how, how I've developed it into, into a monetary thing and, and how I've kind of lived off it for the past few years. No, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's amazing to become also self-sufficient after leaving university because I know there's people listening to this that will be at university or just have left university. So what did it take for you, Will, mentally to be able to have the faith and the courage in yourself, in your skill set and knowledge to be able to go, I can do this, I can do this without needing to go for a company or, or something like that? Yeah, it's... Um... It's quite it's quite an interesting one that because it's there is a lot of kind of fake it till you make it almost in in and yeah. I think you know maybe your, your clients won't agree with you but a lot of people that are in a similar position I think would agree and I was only today chatting to my my barber in Coventry about it and he said his girlfriend's doing the exact same thing there's an element of if you want to progress and you want to move into freelance and and work for yourself you have to take on projects that you you might not necessarily think you can achieve mm. and then figure it all out when you arrive and and kind of you know almost blag it a little bit but it shows an initiative it might sound a bit hectic but it shows an initiative to learn and and develop yourself without external input and i think that kind of rubs off on people and yeah. you know when i meet new people i'm always like you know I'll try and hold a conversation about what they're interested in and what their business is or their industry. And it might be something I have no experience on, but being interested in something, you know, business related or something that they're related in shows them that you're interested and that, mm. and it kind of forms these really strong networks with people that, that, that I think genuinely trust that you'll be able to achieve, you know, stuff, even though you're young and you're not necessarily got all of that experience. Um, so at university, I was really lucky that I could, I could do this as a side hustle and know that if all else failed, I still had university to kind of back me up and I had the degree that was going. Yeah. Um, and at the time, all of the equipment I was using was rented from the university media loan shop. I mean, I don't know if they knew, but every time I went in, I would just take, you know, the Canon D850, a Nikon D850 I was renting. Um, and then I just quickly run out to the car, put it in the car, drive off, take the pictures, and then we'd, we'd bring the equipment back. So that was kind of allowed me to, to do it on the side. So I, there wasn't a huge amount of risk involved at the start yeah. because there was always a backup. Um, but it, it takes a lot of kind of self courage. I think there's, there's people maybe underestimate that the risk involved with leaving university and not looking for a job. You know, I was always, I finished university in April now so it's, it's quite a while ago and I said right this is this is it and I started a new project with it with a friend um which is a studio business we'd come up with some ideas and um that was kind of that was my intermediate and I was like right okay you know I'm going to work for myself and I'm going to make this work but I had an offer come through recently um yeah. that I really just couldn't turn down it was kind of initially i I kind of pushed it away a bit and then I reevaluated and I was like, this is, this is something that I need to to look into. So the self-employment is kind of on a little bit of a pause at the moment, um, sure. but I'll be continuing a lot of the digital marketing and things like that behind the scenes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of, you have to believe in yourself and just think, right, you know, throw everything at it. If there's even a part of you that thinks I'm not going to be able to achieve this or I'm not going to be able to make this work you're you're kind of self-destruct and you will yeah. you know it won't work um it's almost like you know jump off the diving board and figure out what to do in the air you know it's like if, yeah. if you worry about it too much beforehand you won't you won't figure it out so that's kind of a bit of a you know advice necessarily on what i what i did and how i approached it yeah so when it, so when it comes to new projects like the one you're eventually going to take on now um do you have any sort of preconceptions going into things or is it just finding out about the job so what is what is this new new position you are taking on and what was it like to to receive the um i don't know did the ask the asking for to come on board um yes yeah, so i was it was it came out of the blue actually because it was a chap that i'd met at my degree show i've always i don't know if it's kind of led to this recently but i've always been a bit of a underachiever well, not underachiever, but middle of the ground. You know, I never did amazing in school. I was always, 
CCC at my A levels or whatever, mm. and I'm just bang average. Um, and then when I got to, I did an art foundation course between finishing A levels and starting university, and that kind of helped me to mature to the point when I started uni that I realised the value of, you know, actually doing some education and sticking in, even though it was, you know, a bit of a change in direction for me, but. Um, so when when I left university, I was under the impression, well, at the end of university, I was under the impression that um, I probably wasn't going to get any jobs because I yeah. wasn't that good. And a lot of my close peers um, are just unbelievably in, are um, uh, unbelievably high achievers at university. Yeah. They, they are just the cream of the crop. Um, and they've gone on to, you know, work for some really big manufacturers. They've all got, you know, my close friends have all got jobs in the industry. So the pressure was on and I just thought, you know what, it's okay if I don't get a job, but this isn't yeah. for me. Um, and yeah, and then I got contacted out of the blue by um, uh, an agency that said they had a job that they think I'd be really good for. And I was kind of like, all right, okay, I'll hear them out. Um, and so, yeah, I listened to what they had to say and, and, it was kind of a bit of a surreal experience being, I wouldn't say headhunted, mm. um, but having somebody identify your skills and say, yeah, you're worthy of this job or you're worthy of, of, of being in this position. And um, that kind of gave me a bit of a boost and, yeah. and got me into looking in, into a different areas, et cetera. Yeah, you, you're running off this, this, um, this tank of self-belief <laughs> to, to get you through. And it's it something that you almost like get a... Um a change in mindset from I'm not that I'm not that triple C student anymore I'm actually I've, I've done enough stuff and I've proven to enough people that I can I can do the job and it's, it's getting that job I think which is well first of all well done congratulations thank Good you very job. much thank you yeah so um, yeah so with with the new opportunities well, what are you looking forward to most um that's a good question I think this this company that I've started with um I can't really talk too much about it because it is all, all under wraps a bit but their growth potential is just enormous. They are a startup um, and the investment and the support and the people involved, everybody that I've spoken to so far has just filled me with huge amounts of confidence in the, in the future. And, you know, it's, it's getting involved with something early on. I've never been, I had an interview with Aston Martin in their visualization department. Yeah. And that was kind of, when I got offered that interview, it was kind of one of the most like, oh my goodness moments in my life you know the thought of a, a car manufacturer that you admire um you know contacting you and saying yeah we'd, we'd like to speak to you but yeah so um i identified that their departments are very you know that they're big departments if you go into you know the visualization department there's usually a lot of people in there and you're kind of a, a smaller cog in a big wheel you still have an impact but you know you're 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 less you have less of an impact um and the chaps over at Aston Martin were all really nice guys. And after the interview, I was very like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. But I think for me, it's it's being being part of a a smaller thing but, or being part of a, you know, a, a potential, something that has great potential. But being in it early on where you have a say, you have a bit more of an input. And although my my job description is kind of visualization, it's CGI visualization. Um I'm, I'm going to have, you know, in, I'll be able to input in other areas if I feel that something I might yeah. have is necessary. And, you know, it might be that my ideas are ridiculous, but the fact that they'll listen to what you have to say and you can communicate with these other people is, is kind of really valuable to me. It's, it's about being valued within the company and being important and having kind of a say in what happens. So I think that's, that's my most exciting, you know, the growth potential is, is just huge. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. So would that be something you would worry worried about then in maybe coming to the future being being washed out and being another not, like you say another cog? Yeah, it's it's um for some people it really doesn't it doesn't matter because you know there, there's a lot of people that that kind of they want to get into a job and they're you know they're really driven and they get in and they just work really hard and they don't they kind of they've got their their set of skills and they've got what they need to do and they and they go for it. Whereas I kind of find I've developed quite a few skills in different areas you know visualization videography marketing media um you know 3d modeling etc and it's i feel like yeah. it's i want to be able to show off those skills in a job role and maybe and it's not a you know it's not a bad thing but maybe if i went and worked for a big manufacturer 
they wouldn't necessarily want me to do those things because they've got people that are being employed for marketing and all of that and you know all the other things so they only need you to do one thing um so i hope you know obviously as the business grows more people will be taken on but hopefully you know i'll be able to grow with the business and and my my role might change and you know shift around but i've always got in the back of my mind that you know it's 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 such a dynamic thing and, and things can change all the time and yeah you know i don't know what <laughs> i don't know what the future has in in whole in place for me but um you know i think it's the right right place and the right decision for the time that's great and so would you say looking back that um little will now looking at if he saw you now would you what would you what would you think do you think he would have seen this coming or do you think this would have been a very sort of um left left field sort of approach to, to your career i I don't know what little will. I'm still quite small, to be honest. So I think it's, <laughs> I'm still little will. But um, no, it's. I think there's. I never really knew what I wanted to do. I was one of those students, and that's that's one thing that you know anyone that is still a student. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I got to the end of university. And even when I was doing the photography, and you know, I've met some really, you know, fortunately, I've met some really interesting people and had some amazing opportunities yeah. and even then I still didn't know, you know, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? You know, it's, it's such a scary thing. And one of my close friends, Martin always says to me, he goes, but you know, you're only 23 and you've got the rest of your life ahead of you. And yeah, I, I think I, I, I definitely didn't see this being the outcome. That's for sure. I don't think little will um, would have known this was the way, but um, I think at one point I wanted to be an architect and I think I wanted to be, probably a zookeeper a racing driver definitely that was on the list but yeah um my experience with racing now i think i've dodged a bullet with that one <laughs> but um no it's 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 it was never never clear to me what i was going to do and even now you know i kind of know what the immediate future is but i try mm. not to look too far ahead you know i have my my goals my dreams the things i want to achieve but i just don't know which path i'm going to take to get to those points kind of thing so it's always changing yeah it's pretty the only reason i ask is because i from a I'm from a young age try to plan mm. my career and i i very much had step by step you're going to go here you're going to do that and it's it's changed so much left right and center that now i just i kind of just go with the flow i'm very i it's it's very much more now emotion dread led and rather than me going oh i'm at this age i'm doing this at this age because it only ends in me being frustrated and angry no so it's, it's not worth it 100 percent. so it's yeah it's a great approach to just to, to just take a sort of step back and let the let not the world but kind of let the world take you yeah and just just take the opportunity that you're given rather than trying to force the opportunities no 100 percent. there's there's been a lot of you know i've been through some interesting discoveries in my life you know you, you go through those periods of I, I'm, I'm exactly the same i try and plan absolutely everything and it and i know it doesn't work because you know when you plan to achieve something and you miss it all it does is make you feel like you're not worthy or you haven't achieved what you're trying to achieve and yeah and all that does is is break you down over time and you know i know what i want to achieve in the long run but you know as you say it, it, it's kind of better to just let life take you there get there eventually you know mm. and even if you don't make it to exactly where you wanted to get to at least you enjoyed what you were doing along the way and you, you weren't you know frustrated that you missed those those goals that you might have set all the way along the way yeah, and so what are those things that you enjoy most outside of outside outside of your career, outside of or life? Let's put it that way. Um, that's a good one. I think, as with any uh, anyone that's kind of doing a similar thing to me, you end up sacrificing a lot of outside of your career for, you know, mm. whilst I was at university, I was nine to five at university, and then kind of five to midnight working on my own stuff. So, mm. um, that is something that I do regret massively. Is is sacrificing virtually everything to the detriment of of kind of work um but i i really enjoy socializing with my friends is kind of the main thing if i can find an excuse to go and do something with my friends i'll find an excuse whether it's i mean i play golf but i only play at the driving range because i can't hit a ball straight mm. but i enjoy it so <laughs> i still go yeah, and, I, and i go and do it and um you know i enjoy bouldering snowboarding things like that just general active sports outside and we've just got back from a weekend in the new forest um Lovely. went to a, an aqua park so you know just things like that are just are just good fun socializing is kind of the main thing for me i need to be 
I'm a, I'm a people person. I have to be surrounded by people and, you know, it's kind of, it motivates you to keep, to keep going. Oh, brilliant. And so I know we, we, we just had a conversation about, about planning things, but what would, what would the ideal sort of um, career path look for, for you? What, what would the sort of quote unquote dream job or dream sort of life look in sort of five, 10 years? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, scary because five or 10 years is still, you know, you're still only 33, which is, well, for me, yeah. 33 in 10 years, which is, is mad to think. But I, my, my kind of goals are always surrounded by what car I've got and what, what car I want in the future. And that's probably very sad. But, um, you know, the main thing for me is, is making sure that whatever job I'm in, I'm, I'm happy doing. Um, sure. You know, I've, I've kind of come to the realization that that no job is worth sacrificing any happiness or any enjoyment, because um, you know you only get to live life once. And that's very cliche, but it's true. And you know, I think whilst I was at university, I learned a lot of lessons about you know maintaining relationships and and things like that. And you kind of learn over time that nothing is worth more than than every you know everything outside of work. So. Yeah. Um, I think you know I want I want a nice a nice house you know I've been looking at houses and things like that self-employed getting a mortgage is is really not a fun game so I'm glad that I finally have a a pay I pay pay what is it pay package whatever it's called a you know proper salary P-A-Y. that's it yeah. that's the one couldn't get my words out so you know I'm looking forward to, right. to to having those things um and being able to kind of rely a bit more on on a salary rather than you know, I'm to do my own tax, tax returns and everything like that. It's just nightmares, but, um, I, I, yeah, just, just being, you know, I want a comfortable, a comfortable job that I enjoy. You know, I like being challenged. I don't like sitting still. As soon as I identify that what I'm doing isn't necessarily progressing my education or progressing my skills, I feel like I'm moving backwards. Um, and I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but if I'm not, developing something or learning something or moving forwards i just automatically feel like i'm backpedaling um so something that challenges me but something that i enjoy i think this job that i'm going into is is literally ticks all the boxes for me it's it's going to be a challenge there's a lot of new aspects in it that i haven't yet kind of discovered um but also it's something that i really enjoy and it's got potential to travel and things like that so I'm not sure whether I'll be living in a house or they'll be living in a tent, but either way, um, as long as I've got a nice car, then I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. It's the old thing. It's like, I'd rather have a shed in an R34 than a, exactly. than a house in a mini. So. I try to explain that to my parents, but they just don't believe me. They don't believe me. No, it's been, because you're only, you're only 23 and you're already talking about sort of backpedaling and not learning stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not far behind you, um, but it's, the reason I like have people like you in the podcast world because you, you've been off the jobs from Aston Martin. You've got this new company that's it's a startup. You're incredibly far ahead of the curve, if that makes sense. Or yeah. Really, like, even if you don't, know, I don't. And it's 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 amazing to hear. Well, I mean, maybe I'm still... ahead of the curve. So no. I mean, someone's ahead of the curve. I didn't actually. <laughs> uh, I didn't actually get offered the job from Aston Martin in the end. I missed out on it to uh, somebody else that I do know who's very well qualified. So that's fine by me. But yeah, no, I, I think there's there's. I don't know where the curve is, to be honest. I don't know whether I'm behind it or ahead of it, but yeah. It's brilliant to find that you're you're still even talking about learning and, and growing in this this age, and it's, it's important, I think, to 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 any, any age really, just to keep to keep learning, not stopping, because you're not going to grow as a person, you're not going to evolve, you're not going to see anything, do anything. If you, you do, you just stay where you are. Um. So I know. Oh, I don't know what I was going with that. <laughs> I've lost. I've lost all train of thought. I'd... But yeah, so what you mentioned earlier, the sort of the, the regrets you had. What what were those regrets and what caused you to, to, to have those? Um, yeah, so a, a lot of my kind of close college friends. So there was a period between college and university where I pretty much disappeared. Um, and a lot of my college friends ribbed me for it because they know they basically just know not to text me because I probably won't reply. But it was it was more a case of. I kind of didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. It was that that lost feeling of, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know where I want to go. Am I good enough to get into university? All of these things. Um, and that led to like a massive sacrifice in basically everything else outside of my work effectively. Um, and I've always, I've always had jobs. 
I think my first job was when I was 12. So I've always worked a part-time job basically since then. So I got hooked on this, you know, idea of having money. And when you're 12 and you're earning, I mean, I was doing a paper round six days a week at six o'clock in the morning, but I felt like I had loads of money yeah. and it was, it was a really abnormal thing. And, and I kind of got hooked on working and if either I have something I need to do work related, I can't not think about it if that makes sense you know if you're away on holiday or you go into a friend's house you're just sitting there thinking about what i need to do what work i need to do how am i going to develop how am i going to make more money how am i going to be successful how am i going to be able to buy a house and all of these things and it, and it kind of i went through a period where it basically just fogged up my brain and 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 it was to a detriment of being able to communicate with with my friends and um yeah i basically just distanced myself from a lot of people um and then obviously when i started at university it was a bit of a fresh start for me i met loads of new people made loads of new friends um and that kind of helped to cure it a bit because i kind of realized that there's more to life despite the fact that at university i got worked into the ground, yeah. <laughs> ground anyway but i was living with my friends so it was kind of like you know i'd cook dinner with them anyway so it didn't matter so much but it was um yeah, it was a bit, it was a realization that came around when, when they started, you know, why, why are you never around? Where, where have you gone or what are you doing? Um, I still, still get in touch with some of them, but I'm not as close to them as I used to sure. be. Um, and a lot of my kind of university friends are my close friends now, which is, you know, isn't, isn't a bad thing, but it's, you know, a lot of people keep in touch with everybody throughout their life and they have friends from all aspects of their life. But there's an element of when I left college or sixth form, I just kind of disappeared. I didn't realize I'd done it until after, you know, until I started at university and you realize that you've kind of lost touch with people. So I'm in the process of rekindling a lot of those friendships, but um, yeah, it did, it did. It wasn't great for me because I noticed, you know, I noticed early on that, well, it wasn't that early on, but I noticed that it had an effect kind of on the relationships that I had at that time. And do you you catch yourself um, fogging up now? And if so, do you have something to stop you from getting to the point where you can't turn and what are those um, mechanisms like yeah i do i'm i am prone to fogging up i have to admit i'm a i'm a i do get i call it brain fog um and i go through periods of it um quite a lot but it's it's always you have to, i kind of learned to embrace it a bit and and accept that you know you you can't you can't always deliver 100 percent of the time and you have to i never took breaks I never went away well obviously I went away with my family at university and things like that but you know through COVID especially it was there was nothing else to do but work from home and so I got into the pattern of you know I do my university work um I actually took a a placement year out of university um during our first lockdown just to kind of focus on the business um and you do you find yourself working all all hours of the day um and it and it fogs you fog up really quickly and you you begin to lose touch of what you're trying to achieve are you you know are you, are you doing going in the right direction are you going to achieve the right things um and i ended up getting a paper diary that was kind of one of the things that that helped me to clear you know when everything's written down you can see what jobs you've got to achieve what things are coming up you know what invoices you've got to send and everything is just blocked out it's, it, it helps you to clear that space a little bit um but yeah just just embracing it and you know you're going to you're going to experience a lot of things in life and um you know I'm, i don't shy away from it you know i never i never hide it because it's it is a lot of people experience it but um yeah you have to accept that sometimes there might be a period of two weeks where you're only working at 60 percent capacity because you can't think straight or you've got a headache in you know, the past past four weeks i've had a headache because it's pretty much not gone away but you know that stress of starting a new job trying to wind down some of the self-employed stuff and, and slow down photography but you know we're also going into the winter and you know there's just so many things going on in everyone's life and I don't I don't like to claim that I'm a stressed person because I know some people that just have so many more stresses than me you know and, and they run big massive businesses yeah. and you know they've got people complaining out of their ears you know I haven't got any of that but for me, you can, I know what triggers my stress, what makes me anxious and what, you know, does these things. And I've kind of learned to to kind of adapt my lifestyle to fit those and to make sure that those things don't arise. Yeah. And what is it like trying to rebuild those relationships that maybe you have not lost or you've disconnected from? 
Um, I'm I'm still very close with with a lot of the people, yeah. so it's kind of like I just kind of step back in, and it's you know I, I can shoot a message off and like should we go for a drink, and then you know it's like we never never you know never weren't together or weren't friends, so it's it's quite easy, but it is it takes it takes more effort to rekindle an old friendship than it does to start a new friendship. Sometimes I find there's like, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's completely lost friendships because we've stayed in touch, but it's not, you know, not regularly meeting up and regularly doing things. But um, sometimes you, you've got to be conscious that, you know, over this period of time, your life has changed a lot, but so is their life. And they might've gone in a different direction. You don't know what they're doing now. You don't know what their job yeah. is. You don't know who they're, their close friends are they in a relationship you know they got family you know you just don't know so there's so much to catch up on that usually within the first kind of week of talking to them you still got you still got a lot to learn but it is nice it's almost like you know being away on holiday and coming home that that weird feeling of like you know you you know these people that they, they they're your people so it is quite nice yeah, it's like it's, it's nice nostalgia and you find a nice balance between sort of yeah no 100 percent. yeah but yeah the balance between sort of um seeing people and working yourself it's, it's something that you don't think anyone ever gets right any of the time but it's it's, it's... No, no never never but it's it's nice it's just nice to know that you can you can sort of like even if you've been working maybe just too straight for too many times you can still always go back and sort of the the friendship might have never be lost completely but it's, 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 it's still there. Yeah, no, 100%. Oh, brilliant. And we'll, I know we're coming to the end, so there's a few questions um, that I'd like to finish the podcast off with. And Yeah, no first, worries. that being uh, your ultimate three-car garage. That's a, that's a big one, that. Um, currently, it would probably be... Um, I currently drive a, a F31 Tour, so a big BM 3 Series Touring. Yeah. And obviously the new M3 touring's just come out and I just can't, I can't get over it. I've been looking through bank statements, trying to find money I didn't know I had, trying to find, I've got about three pounds on my desk. I'm just, I really want one, but I can't afford one. So um, it'd be an M3, uh, yeah, an M3 touring would be the, the kind of daily car. Um, I'm assuming this is money, no object. Money, no object, just, no, I'm, yeah, no availability, yeah. yeah. Uh, then I'd probably have a Singer DLS. I'm a bit of a sucker for a classic, but a resto mod because I do like my mod cons and I like to know that things are going to work. I've had a lot of experience with cars breaking on me, and yeah. the last car I had was was a Z4 that just I had endless, so much money spent on fixing it all the time. So I'd want something that I knew I could rely on. So probably a thing of DLS, and well, I don't know what the third one would be. Probably something stupid, stupid and big. Or maybe a track car, maybe the new 992 GT3 RS. I think would be yeah. probably the one. I've got I've got a um, a friend that has a 991 GT3 RS that he's just sold because he's got an allocation for the new one, and that car is just it just it's phenomenal. It ticks every single box. It does everything on track. I mean, on the road, it's awful. <laughs> on track, it's just absolutely phenomenal. So I can't imagine the 992 will be any less. Of a, of a worthy beast so no probably the 992 RS oh, brilliant and the next one being you have one road or track and one car um, where are you going and what are you taking one road and a car that's a good question um, there's that road I can't remember the name it's in the Alps the really twisty road and I've forgotten its name it's, got, it's something it's a something path um and I'd probably take I'd probably take a classic Porsche. It'd be like a nine six four or a two point seven RS or something. Yeah. Something that just sounds amazing. It's a really raw driving experience. Manual gearbox, wind in your hair. Even though I haven't got much hair, but still you wind. Feel the wind. <laughs> feel the wind. That would probably be that would probably be the answer. Brilliant. I think it's not the Stelvio Pass, is it? That there's an America. That's it. Yeah, yeah the Stelvio yeah, Pass. Yeah, I, think yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's the anyway. one. Um, next one being, what is it for you about cars that you love the most? Um, I think that's that's changed massively. It used to be the freedom, which probably sounds a bit weird, but when you're 16, I learned to drive when I was 16 doing the Admiral Young Drivers course. Um, and I just wanted to drive, wanted the freedom. And then, you know, kind of as I've grown older, it's, it's developed into 
into performance yeah. and, and aerodynamics. I'm a bit of a sucker for aerodynamics um, and just kind of things that look fast. And so as soon as I, the first car, first proper car, say proper car, the first fast car I drove was a V12 Vantage. Yeah. And I remember getting in that and I couldn't figure out how to move the seat. And I sat in the car park for about five minutes trying to figure that out. Um, so once I'd kind of experienced driving, you know, performance cars and Porsches, it was just all about the performance and, and how they handle and things like that. And, and to be honest, the, the quality of them, you can really like, I know it's probably all a bit weird and geeky and sad, but, you know, you get in an Aston Martin and no offense to Aston Martin because they are phenomenal cars, but the interior quality can be a little bit questionable. And, you know, the little clock in the dash can spin around. So you could have a 12 o'clock upside down. There's just little quirks, but. There's certain I, I love like the quality feel of a of a good car interior and I'm a massive Porsche fan, so I always come back to Porsche as kind of up there as one of the premium. But um yeah, it's it's now just the performance, you know, handling, speed, aerodynamics, yeah. things like that. They're the they're the main things for me. Yeah, I mean I've got massive sort of sort for McLaren, so I'm still waiting for them to sponsor the podcast. So you know. <laughs> You never know. Yeah, you exactly. Never know. You never know. If I say it enough, someone might hear me. Um, yeah, hundred. There we go. And the last question being, Will, if you had any advice for a young photographer or visual arts um, student or um, enthusiast, what would it be? Um, keep going. <laughs> it's very, very, very common that I mean, I, I know so many people that just they hit a brick wall really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, the industry now is is so saturated with with young photographers, and they're they're really good. This is a thing. There's kids. I mean, I've got a lad that I've been working with who is nineteen, mm. I think he's nineteen or eighteen, and he's just he's phenomenal. And it's kind of it's quite easy to feel like you're not good enough in the industry, and there's people that are better than you. But there always will be people that are better better than you, even the the top names in the industry you know there is always somebody that's better yeah. than you and you have to kind of learn that your your skills and your unique you know your unique selling point is what's going to attract people and i don't think i'm i'm anywhere near the top in photography but you know people are interested in what i'm doing and that's why i've you know had posts picked up by porsche and things mm-hmm. like that and and you know it, it's kind of believing that that you're you're good enough and that what you're producing is is worthy you know it's 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 not about everyone else it's about what you can do and as long as what you're producing makes you happy and you're you're you know um content with it then you know no one else can stop you <laughs> and uh yeah it's, I, I know a few people that have kind of really quickly hit brick walls and they've just thought right this is it i'm jacking it in yeah. and i know other people that have jumped into the industry in their 20s late 20s and, and have excelled and you know i've got so many friends in the industry now and and doing it and you know also don't shy away from from other people yeah. it's you know i had a the rivalry in the competition is what makes you grow if you haven't got anybody to kind of work with or work against almost you know if you if there's two photographers on a shoot a lot of people hate that because it's like oh what if my pictures aren't good enough and I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of it when somebody's stepping on your toes a bit, but it's the only way you grow because I stand there and think, right, okay, well, he's a good photographer. Yeah. I need to make sure that the pictures I'm taking are tenfold what he's taking. And so it kind of makes, it forces you to develop yourself and grow your own kind of skills. Um, and yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the best, the best advice is just keep keep people around that are like you and, and have the same mentality and and always you know always keep going don't don't just put it down because somebody else has posted something that's 10 times better than what you've posted because to somebody else they might think yours is better yeah and and that's that's all it takes everything is like you said it's, it's an experience not education you can have all the education in the world but if you don't have the experience to back it up it's not going to work no, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for being on the podcast and thank you for your time. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, get to speak to you and get to know more. No. So. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's been uh, it's my first podcast, but well, it's not my first. It's the first one that's been released because the other one got deleted. So <laughs> glad about Ouch. that. That was it. W- wasn't an automotive podcast though. So, okay. Uh, so yeah, worry about that. But yeah. So um, no, thank you for having me hey, on. Thank you very much. Hey there. 
I want to give a huge thank you to this episode sponsor, Forge Motorsport. They're all about instilling confidence and enabling performance in everything they do. And the point of this podcast is to help those listening forge the love of cars. So, lucky podcast listeners, you are getting 15% off parts, tuning and more to help you and your car perform confidently. To get that 15% off, visit www.ignitionpod.com or you can find the code in the show notes below. The code doesn't include brakes, but don't let it stop you from heading over there and making your project feel more race car than pace car. Forge Motorsport, thank you again for sponsoring the podcast and helping people do more with their passion for cars. It's great having photographers and creators on the podcast as they give you a whole different perspective on what life is like to capture the essence of a car and its owners. I remember speaking to Sam Copley, our first guest on the podcast, and the way he described the cars as an art form. It's so different to the way Will speaks about his work. I think for Will, the challenge isn't the customer, but how far he can push himself and his skills. Will hasn't stopped learning since he finished at university, and it seems to me that he isn't slowing down anytime soon. Sacrifice seems to be important to Will and at the forefront of his mind, and to reach the level he has at his age, I think it has to be. After all, life isn't all about how high you can reach on the social ladder, but rather the quality of those relationships and surrounding yourself with the right people to help you rather than hinder you. And to be successful, I think you need to be able to distinguish between the two, having those tough conversations along the way. And I promise you, if you have the right people surrounding you, your life gets a whole lot easier and more enjoyable. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the podcast, please don't hesitate to send me a message. Just go to info at ignitionpod.com or DM me on Instagram at weareignition. That's we, the letter R, ignition. I look forward to hearing from you. So, with that being said, my name's Harry and this is Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's or any of our other episodes, please share them with at least three people you know who are in the car trade, love cars, or just find them interesting. If we can get one more person to listen, then that's one more person in my mission to help inspire people to do more with their passion for cars.